I'm always amazed as I read that portion of Psalm 45 of the not only the relevance but the the truth that we are living out uh, in that psalm was written some thousand years before uh, Christ came in the ascension of giving the Spirit upon the church. And now here we are living in the light of that glory, and that psalm will continue to ever be relevant for us until the coming of Christ, and then some as well. As we now finish up uh, Matthew chapter 10, we're going to turn our attention to those last three verses, beginning at verse 40 to 42, which actually becomes its own unit within this chapter. Now hear the word of God. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple Assuredly, I say to you, he shall no means lose his reward. Our Father, open our eyes, but the eyes of our hearts, that with faith we might hear and understand and receive your word today. And we ask that the Spirit of God would send this forth to encourage and strengthen, to affirm us in who we are in Christ and his mission here. And we pray that when we leave, we might know that Jesus has spoken words of assurance and of victory. And we pray that you would energize us as your people in this message today and bring forth much fruit that would glorify your name. So we pray you'd have your way now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we close out this chapter that we've spent some time on, we do so on a very positive and encouraging note with some promises that God gives us for us to claim. Let me rehearse with you the summary of the chapter so we can have it in mind as we conclude this morning. You might remember and recall that the distinctive feature of this chapter are the instructions that our Lord is giving to a small band of disciples. It's more of an intimate setting. It's not speaking to the crowds in this setting, but to the twelve. And he's giving them instruction regarding the very first Christian mission that they will be sent out to accomplish. And here the instructions that Jesus gives his disciples are given as they represent him and they take his message. Back in verse 5, we have the instructions of where they are to go. And they are to wait on the Lord regarding where they are to go. And verse 7 what is it that they are to say? And he gives them the message. For the kingdom of God is near. And this kingdom, which is expressed in that phrase, he's given them that they can fill out all of that skeleton with the meat that he's given them in the previous chapters, from chapter 5 through 7 and the Sermon on the Mount and what this kingdom is all about. But the kingdom is the message that the kingdom has now come to this earth and it is in the presence and in the ministry of the great king, as the king has come. Verse 8, he then adds to them certain works that will authenticate that message. Verses 8 through 10, he addresses their spiritual, or I mean their material needs as they go, and that God will provide for whatever he has ordered. In verses 11 through 15, he gives them directions regarding associations, who they are to associate with and who they are not to associate with. 
with regarding their where they're going to stay and who they're going to fellowship and and these matters. And in verses 16 and following, he has an extensive section, one of the most extensive sections on the opposition and the persecution that they will inevitably face. And that brings us up to these last three verses, and they comprise their own unit within the context of this chapter. We read in verses 40 and 41 a particular word that is repeated over and over again eight times in those two verses, and that word was what? Receive. And we have three times in verses 41 through 42, we have three times a word that is mentioned there, which is what? Reward. We have reception and we have reward. This is how he's going to end this chapter. We have two vantage points from which we can actually read this this morning. First of all, we can read it from the vantage point of the receivers ourselves, those who we, we receive, the way we are to receive those who come to us in Jesus' name. Or we could read it from the vantage point of the way that the verse is in the context of the chapter, the vantage point of Jesus' messengers being sent out. And since this is instructions continuing to them, I think that is the vantage point that the text itself would have us to consider. Now, while both are warranted, the passage seems to indicate we are to have the vantage point of messengers being sent out. And I think if you do that, it's going to encourage us greatly. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's what we call a gospel. Matthew's thesis and objective in and throughout this entire gospel, as we've already seen and will continue to see as we go through this, is to inform his readers that the true God really does exist. And he is concerned about his world. Now, we wouldn't easily recognize that this is God's world. We read the headlines out there, it doesn't sound like God's world. If we think about all the news and all the negativity out there, we wouldn't know from the headlines that this is God's world. But what we do come away with is this place is messed up. This world is fraught with sin and the consequences of sin. There's injustice, indignity, degradation, great difficulties. We all agree on that. But this is God's world. And God has appointed a single individual to come and put everything right in this world. And that individual is his own son. And Matthew testifies to the identity of God's Son as he came into the world to redeem all of creation back to God. And Matthew says that this identity of God's Son is his name, is Jesus. And he is that long hoped for and prophesied anointed Messiah. This is the one that God has anointed. This is the one that God has sent. And this is the one that will right every wrong and to fix everything that's broken in God's world. He is the one 
that will deliver the world from its iniquity and all of its resulting consequences. He will set up his kingdom here upon the earth. He will establish a new heaven and a new earth by restoring everything that is broken here. And when the Lord Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them with that message of the kingdom that the king is now here and the kingdom is drawing nigh. And that's the kingdom that Christ has already set up. And this is what Matthew is describing to us. This is what Matthew's main objective is. The kingdom of God is near, and it is near in the person of Jesus, and his kingdom has come, and he is now setting aright everything that is wrong and broken. In these last three verses of chapter 10, we read of an expectation that we should have as kingdom citizens when we take the message of the kingdom out into the world. Notice here, first of all, There's an implied truth in verse 40. He that receives you, and let's just stop there. There's an implied truth right there. And that indicates that there will be a success with the mission and a certain reception of the kingdom message. He who receives you implies by the very phrase that when the truth goes forth and you take that message out, there will be some that receive you. And you should expect that some will receive the message. Now, ever since verse 14, I mean, that's a long bunch of verses between verses 14 and verse 39. But ever since verse 14, the Lord has been preparing you for the exact opposite. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you or hear your words. Verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Verse 17, beware of men. Verse 21, beware of your own family who will deliver you up to death. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my sake. Verse 23, and when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. He's continuing to prepare them for opposition of not being received. But when he comes here, he implies that you won't be completely rejected and neither will my message how important these instructions are to Christ's disciples in the way that he concludes this chapter is the way he does because he wants us to see that his kingdom will prevail his message of the gospel will count and there will be some that receive you and receive the message of the gospel there will be some he implies it here He clearly implies that not everyone will reject them, but there would be a reception. Because there's nothing more discouraging than to be sent out on a mission when you know up front that that mission will not be successful. Here he takes 12 disciples, four of whom were fishermen. They earned their living by being fishermen, primarily on the Sea of Galilee. And he tells these men, you know what, you're fishermen, but I'm going to now make you fisher of men. You think he was doing that to mock them? You think he was doing that because they would not be successful? No, he's telling them, I'm going to make you fisher of men. I grew up loving to, to go largemouth bass fishing. I was into that like I was any, into any outdoor sports. And I would travel far and wide. I would wade out in 
waist-deep gator waters for some time to go bass fishing. I love bass fishing. I loved it. I love hunting, and when I was in Atlanta, I would go far and wide, and I would try to find places that I could hunt. I would bow hunt, and I would, I would put all kinds of things on my body to make me stink out in the woods and to, to make the deer not smell me or see me or sense me so that I could hunt. And yet here I am, I move here, and I am in like the, the, the deer hunting territory. I have deer in my backyard every day. This past year, I took my two boys, and we spent uh, over 10 hours in the woods over three different times, sitting in the cold, and we didn't see a single deer. That gets discouraging. Well, as fishermen and hunters, we do everything we can to, to get that fish. We do everything we can to lure the fish onto our bait or to, to, uh, to catch our game. As much time as we don't see any deer or we don't get any nibbles on our bait, and yet for the most part, that is uh, experience for God's messengers as they go out. And that's why there's such a lengthy section here in preparing them for rejection. Uh, the deer are going to avoid you. The fish will not bite. But here, there's no question that there will be a reception as the passage concludes. Because it says in the other parts that small and the narrow is the gate that leads into life. And there are few that are on it. But there are some few that are on it. So think about it positively and not negatively. And there was also a prediction that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, many, many people on that broad, destructive path. If you are here today and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can thank God and praise him that you are one of the few. And you don't deserve it. Now the reception that Jesus implies here will be true of any people group in any place, in any country, in any nation that God sends his people to. It's going to be true of every missionary that God sends that missionary to. It's going to be true of any place that we find ourselves, any place that we travel, this will be true that there will be some who hear the message and receives you. There are many peoples and languages and places and cultures, and in every one of them where God sends his people, there will be some who receive his messenger. That's why in Re Revelation that we read in chapter 7, we read again in chapter 14 that the gospel will be preached to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, to every tongue, to every tribe, to all the people. The gospel will be successful. Our fallenness and the nature of that fallenness tends for us to be more cynical. I did not catch a 10-pound, 2-ounce, largemouth bass today. I guess no fish are to be caught ever again whatsoever. 
I did not get that 170 scoring Boone and Crockett buck this year. I guess there's just no reason ever to go into the woods again. We tend to look at the negative, at the smallness. We look at failure. But God wants us to not see failure. He wants us to see success. Yes, you're going to be persecuted. It's inevitable. Yes, you will be persecuted. That's going to happen. But yes, as you go with the gospel message, it will find success. Because that's the very purpose I'm sending you forth. That's why I'm leaving you here. So we can go with confidence that we will meet success with Christ's mission if we but get involved. Not every time. In fact, not even most of the time. But we keep going, we keep sharing the gospel for the few times that it will happen. And we shouldn't be surprised when it does happen as though it's a fluke of some sort. You ever sense that in your spirit? Go along and kind of in the south gospel-hardened territory and when finally someone comes to know Christ, you're like, I don't believe it. He's not really serious. Uh, just a matter of time. That, that's how we are. No, we, we need to go understanding that in every culture and every place that God sends us, including the gospel-hardened South, that people will come to Jesus Christ because God is going to be successful with his mission. And we are here as his ambassadors and representatives, and we are to go. And yes, there will be 170 Boone and Crockett scoring buck that will come into your life someday. Or something that's far better than that. When God uses you to lead a soul to Christ and disciple that soul. Jesus ends this chapter with a very clear implication that his mission will be successful one soul at a time. And in his disciples, in the midst of all that rejection, will see some reception. And not only do we have a clear implied truth in this passage that we began with, that, we should, that should encourage us, but we have an explicit revelation of a sacred relationship that a person obtains by listening to a messenger of Jesus. So we have in that further portion the sacred relationship that Jesus reveals to those who receives his messengers. Read that again. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the Father who sent me. When people receive Christ's messengers, they enter into a sacred relationship they never dreamed of. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives the Father that sent me. And the sacred relationship that a person enters into is obtained by listening to the messenger of Christ. When Jesus sends one of his messengers into a community and the people embrace that man with this message, it brings them into a relationship with Jesus himself and with God the Father. There is a sacred relationship between God the Father and the Son whom he sent and a sacred relationship between his Son and the one that the Son sends out. It's very tight here. 
in terms of that personal relationship. He who receives my messenger receives me, and who receives me receives the Father. So that to receive a messenger of Christ is to come into that special relationship with Jesus and the Father. As I ponder this in my mind, I immediately go to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, here is Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and he's an unsaved, unregenerate man, but he is faithful in his praying. But he doesn't yet know Christ. He prays to God, and as he's praying, God sends an angel to Cornelius, and he tells him not how to be saved, He doesn't tell him about Jesus. He tells him to go get Peter who will tell you what to do. And so Cornelius fetches for Peter who is in Joppa and Peter comes. And so we have this relationship that is God intended. And Peter tells him what to do. And as he trusts Jesus Christ as a Savior, the Holy Spirit fell upon him that even Peter could not deny it. There's a sacred relationship here of the messengers that has great dignity and honor. Now, the perspective of this passage is coming at you are the messenger, right? These are things that you need to hear as a messenger because there's great dignity and honor in that. Now, consider... For a moment, the other perspective, one who is receiving a messenger. Let's say you are a host or a hostess to to one of these 12. Remember, this is pretty early in the disciples' ministry. This is the first time they're being prepared to be sent out. And now all of a sudden, you're going to take in and you're going to house Thomas, for instance. You can provide a bed and breakfast for Thomas for the night or for the week or the month, however long he's in the area. And every time you read about Thomas, he's negative. So you get up the next morning and after you had fixed him his bed and his breakfast and you're over breakfast trying to make some conversation, you say, well, Thomas, how did you sleep last night? Oh, I didn't sleep so good. In fact, I didn't sleep hardly at all. Okay, how do you like your breakfast? Well, I'm allergic to most of what you gave me. The eggs were cold. This is Thomas. What about Matthew? You're a host for Matthew, and Matthew's a pretty recent convert, fresh out of a tax collection uh, business. And he comes to your home, and and he enters your home, and and he comes and sits down, and you have coffee or tea with them, and he's looking around. Yeah, you know what he's doing. He's calculating. How much that vase costs? And then he starts in this long conversation about his coin collection and the rarities that he has in his coin collection. And you think to yourself, he's a man of God, but wow, everything just doesn't quite ring right about him yet. Peter... uh, 
might seem a bit flighty to you, very impulsive, impetuous, probably a talker. James and John, with their strong voice, dogmatic, no-nonsense personalities, you hear them arguing in the next room as they are going at it with each other. These men at this time have still had a lot of things that they did or said that didn't look a lot like Jesus. Yet if they went to someone, and that someone received these men and their message, they received Jesus. And there's dignity, even in the midst of all of that earthy fleshiness that still remains. Now that's a remarkable thing. There is a sacred relationship here. There is an incalculable dignity to the messenger when he comes in the name of Jesus Christ. It is not a dignity in himself, but a dignity due to him who he is representing in the words of the kingdom that he is giving. But there's nonetheless a great dignity. When we carry the gospel in these earthen vessels of ours and we give the gospel or we hand out a tract, we carry the dignity of Christ and the Father of him who sent him. And you need to be mindful of that. All of us needs to be reminded of the necessity of altering our lives and keeping and maintaining the dignity and doing what God wants us to do. There's a connection between the message and the messenger that you must always be mindful of. There's a very notable quote of a pastor friend of mine who said this, you need to remember that what you do will either so strengthen people's estimation of your credibility that it will smooth the way for their reception of your message or it will be a stumbling block to their feet. Think about your vessel and how you handle yourself. Are you going with the dignity of Christ and the Father that he has sent? Remember the great responsibility laid upon you because of what they do when you give that message will either way determine their actual reception of Jesus Christ and of his Father. That's an important responsibility that each of us messengers bear. And when you take the gospel to someone, they have been given an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ and the Father that sent him. And the people's response to that messenger is their response to Jesus. Now lastly, this passage ends with some promises of rewards. And what an encouraging place for us to end this chapter. There will be a reception of you and your message. When people do receive you, as you bring that message, they receive Jesus Christ and his Father, and so enter into a sacred relationship with God and his people. And here we see promises of reward offered this is not easy, but let us try to navigate our way through this. We have three different uh, people that are represented. A prophet, a righteous man, and then even a fresh disciple. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. 
and he receives a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives to one of the least ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, we have rewards that are mentioned here. A righteous or a prophet's reward, a righteous man's reward, and even a disciple's reward. And there are several possibilities of what that could be talking about. One possibility is that he is saying when you receive a true messenger of Jesus, that messenger will reward you. When you receive a prophet, you receive the reward that the prophet gives to you. Or when you receive a righteous man, you receive the the reward that the righteous man gives you. That's one possibility. I don't think that's the right one. Another possibility is that these rewards are keeping with the dignity of the persons in God's kingdom. Here you kind of have a descending scale, if you will, of importance from the prophets to the righteous man to the the newest one of the kingdom or the fresh disciple or a babe in Christ, if you will. So that depending on the status of the person, your reward is greater or lesser as you receive them. In other words, the rewards you receive for receiving one of these will be proportional to their status or position. That's another possibility and perhaps maybe a little closer uh, to a greater understanding here. But I think that the answer to this lies in the phrase, in the name of. A prophet is someone who has been sent by God, and he goes in the name of God. And so if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet or a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, what's he referring to? You are receiving that person in light of who they actually are. So for a prophet, you receive him as such. Not merely, you're not merely doing a Christian courtesy in receiving the prophet, but you're receiving him as a prophet. As he comes to you in the name of a prophet, you receive him as a prophet. And you listen to that man. You listen to that man as God's commissioned messenger. If someone represents himself as a righteous man, a person who is truly right before God, living a holy life, you observe him and you say, I receive him as such, and I will acknowledge that this is a righteous, godly person. And I think that's more the intent here that it's getting at. It's difficult. You receive a man... And you receive rewards. Now that being the case, what our Lord is referring to is this. There is such a unity with those who come in Christ's name. Jesus who sent him. God the Father who sent him. And there's a unity there. This sacred relationship, if you will. That when you embrace him... And what he preaches, you embrace the Godhead. And when you receive him, you will receive the same reward as the people who brought that message to you. And when you receive a prophet, you receive the reward that Christ gives to a prophet. Why? Because you've identified yourself entirely with him and his commission for Christ. 
You've embraced him and the true status of what that message is that he brings. And in the Lord's mind, it's not so much what people do, but what's in their heart. It's their inner spirit about these things that matters. Think about Elijah. Elijah goes to the widow. And Elijah's task was to confront wicked king of Israel Ahab. And her task was to feed the prophet. And from divine estimation, those two are one. Both have contributed out of the heart of the same faith to what God has intended for them to do. Now, there's a lot of risk in identifying with Elijah to the king of Israel. And yet, as you or this widow identified herself with him, she became one with him and received the reward that he gets. And I think that's the kind of the spirit of the passage here. Think about the people in, in China right now and what they're identifying with. And think about the rewards that they have in the name of Christ. Now, if you keep that vantage point in perspective, whoever receives a prophet or a righteous man or even a babe in the name of a disciple, and all three of those are parallel, so in the last verse we have the most simple form of a gift, a glass of cold water. Hardly we have anything less consequential. Most restaurants today will give you a glass of cold water for free, just as a courtesy. But God will take note of that small token that you give, not as just a matter of Christian courtesy, but by receiving the freshest and the newest babe in Christ. And he will take note of that, and he will reward those who receive that person. Even in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential actions that you do in the name of a disciple, God will notice and God will reward. And that passage should enhearten us to go out from here, not thinking and focusing on failure, just realizing the reality of persecution, but in the face of that, there will be triumph. When you think about how Nehemiah built the, the wall of Jerusalem, he had a sword in one hand and he had a hammer in the next hand, but the wall got built. And so he had to defend against the foe, but he continued to build. It was not all defensive. The defense was only there to contribute to the offensive victory. And this passage should, should energize us to know that when we go with the gospel, it will not always be met. In fact, broader the way, and there are many who are on it, but it will be met with reception by a few. So you continue giving the gospel. You continue going in the name of Christ. You continue the faithfulness that God's called us to. And while there might be many times a revival and very large-scale receptions, most of our life will follow Christ and his apostles and really the whole history of the church, which is somewhat identified in Acts 17 when Paul is there and it says, and, and some mocked and some procrastinated and there was a few that responded. And when they do, we need to realize the magnitude of what just happened. When they received that messenger, they received Jesus and his Father. And there will be reward 
like given to the very spokesman that brought them the message. Now we are to sow in confident expectation. We are to go as part of that mission which the disciples had the first of which, and now we follow in their train with great power and grace and glory. And we are to take that mission to the lost people of the world and to those around us and to those in our community, our next door neighbors, and we are to take that knowing that not everyone will receive. The bait doesn't always catch the big bass. The time in the woods does not always yield a deer every day. But nonetheless, you'll never get a deer if you don't go hunting. You'll never get a fish if you don't go fishing. And God says to these fishermen, I'm going to make you fisher of men. And I'm not calling you to mock you, but to make you successful in my mission. And as Paul said, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Go in hope. Go in faith. Go expecting that God will bring the increase. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we pray as we end this chapter that you would send us forth even this week, opening up doors of opportunity to speak the gospel, knowing that we will receive a lot of resistance, a lot of rejection, and even persecution. But may we not be ashamed. May we be bold and give us that boldness that only the Spirit can give, which is not a fleshy and carnal courage, but it is a spiritual boldness. And we pray that as you give us the opportunity that you would open our mouth as we ought to speak, seasoned with salt, that it would be palatable to the hearers and receptors. We pray, Father, that you would give us courage, but give us faith knowing that this is your mission, and may we not be surprised when you bring forth the fruit. May we expect more, and may that energize us all the more to see that you are growing your kingdom, and you're doing so with evangelism and bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would take heed to this and be encouraged in this ministry and that we might be faithful to you in the life that you've given to us. And we pray you'd bring forth much fruit and grow your kingdom here in Hickman County. There are so many people here that claim the name of Christ but who are falsely assured and are lost. And we pray we would be faithful to exhibit Christ to them that we would take heed to even our vessels and how we uh, present ourselves with the dignity of Christ, that we might uh, make the message all the smoother for those who can receive it. And we pray, Father, that we would not get discouraged or grow weary in well-doing. Energize us, we pray, with the gospel and with Christ and with thanksgiving and praise, and may we show forth the wonderful works you are doing to the sons of men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.